like it. I like starting each day with a sense of possibility. And I'm optimistic because every day I get a little more desperate and desperate situations yield the quickest results. Well, it's not all strangers. Some of them are friends. <laughs> Robbie? My Robbie? Yeah, I got here way too early, so I've just been standing outside, kind of waiting for my opportunity to enter. How'd I do? Robbie, are you in this group? I <laughs> see <laughs> in the group. Robbie is the founder, president, and secretary of the group. I formed the group after Nadia dumped me. I always used two sugars. My mom says because I'm so sweet. Yeah. Oh, whoa! I didn't want to be alone, but I also didn't want to be in a relationship. And that's when he got the idea to bring people together to help each other stay single. You know, we meet weekly for non-romantic companionship. But most of all, we just have fun. Yeah. Like last week, we shut down this Korean barbecue. We paid with 13 different credit cards, and we were asked to never come back again. <laughs> it was epic. Oh, man. It's, awesome. it's a really cool group. And we have our own motto. I'm, I'm single, and, and I'm sufficient. sufficient. It's ISIS. That's ISIS. That's ISIS. I, that's ISIS. Oh You're asking God. people to join ISIS. It's no, communications no, 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 no. are. I should have caught that. Yeah. Isn't this group just a painfully transparent stall <sighs> until you meet someone? Being single is a choice. Yeah. Don't single shame. What well, is single honey, shame? He was not single I, not, shaming you. That was not his intention at all. Couples always try to talk down to singles. We can do everything that you guys can do. I take myself out for a dessert date every Sunday. Yeah, and yesterday I had a backache and I rubbed it myself in a door jam. This is bumming me out. <laughs> Is this group going to be a bummer? Be honest. Absolutely not. Have you experienced any of that? I have experienced almost all of that, which makes it so funny. And so I'm glad that you all enjoyed uh, that clip. We're using it kind of campus-wide. And we played it at West Wayne on Saturday. No one laughed because they didn't want to make fun of singles. So I'm glad that you guys have a sense of humor. I feel like Ames is really good about, uh, we're good about having a good time and laughing. And so I'm really grateful uh, to be here with you. And when we got this preaching schedule, Danny just sends it, Pastor Danny Householder sends it out to us as a staff. And of course, I was honored when I looked at the schedule and it said, May 29th, can you relate singleness? I was like, thank you for reinforcing all my insecurities. I really appreciate it. <laughs> So I am just going to continue uh, to be honest and vulnerable with you today about my experience of singleness, my journey of singleness, um, and, and also just how uh, some stories too, and hopefully you'll laugh with me uh, as I walk through this. Uh, but I do want to talk about uh, when I got this series, and I, I looked at it, and I was immediately uncomfortable with the topic, and I think that speaks volumes to how we as a Christian community view singleness versus marriage. I think if it was a topic about marriage and I was excited to talk about my spouse, it would be a different experience. But when I got this topic, I immediately was filled with dread. And so I think that speaks volumes to how we view singleness today. And so whether you can relate to singleness or you're not in a state of singleness right now, whether you're married, uh, there's something for you in this. And oftentimes, uh, couples, I'm sorry to tell you this, but someday you might be single, and that's okay. Um, and so it's oftentimes that we get to look at singleness as a state of being, not just a choice or a vow, but you're either permanent state of singleness or an impermanent state. And so we want to look at singleness in a new light biblically, which we're really excited to explore. And so we're going to talk about some experiences that singles at Hope Ames have actually shared with me. Uh, we're going to set the temperature for how we value singles in our church family. 
and what singleness is and what singleness isn't according to scripture. And so we're going to expand our view on how we can do and be family together, uh, even though we are experiencing uh, different styles of life um, and different states of being, whether you're married or singled. And so we're going to talk about singles today. We're going to joke about singleness. Um, There's some stereotypes in that clip, but I really do want to encourage all of you uh, to be vulnerable and to be vulnerable with me uh, and share your stories, um, because that's what helps us uh, be accountable to one another, to learn um, and add value to this family experience. And so I don't want to be too insensitive to what's going on in the world. Right now, there are single parents. There are kids who are now uh, with one parent. So there's a lot of things going on in the world. So uh, this topic is uh, also a sensitive topic, too, because singleness um, is a state of being, and we all can experience it at some point in our life. So I just wanted to start by introducing myself. Hi, my name is Haley Sheppers. Uh, I'm 26 years old. I'll be 27 in November. I'm counting down, and so I have no pets. I have no plants. I have no spouse or partner, um, and I live alone in South Ames in an apartment, um, and I'm the outreach minister here at Hope Ames, and I am single. So I just wanted to start that today. Thank you, thank you. So to all my single friends, I really enjoy being in community with you. We have a young adult of Hope Ames group. It's singled and married and engaged, and it is so fun to be a part of a ministry that's not called the singles ministry. That ministry doesn't survive because everyone ends up either together or alone, and so, you know, it's just how it happens. And so we have seriously the best young adults group, and there's 50 of us in our Facebook group. We get together once a month, so if you are a single, Come and join us. We would love uh, to experience life with you. It truly is a great group. But I love these clips um, for a lot of reasons because I relate to them. And maybe you can relate to them or you related to them in a season of your life. But what I loved about the clip was specifically with New Girl, um, this group of singles who come together and are family. And they do life together. And it's beautiful and it's funny. If you haven't seen the show, I highly encourage it. Um, But I felt like I was experiencing a season of New Girl when I first joined on staff at Hope Ames. We actually had five staff (laughs) members who were single, and we had one married individual, Paula. I wonder why she left. It was us. I'm I'm joking. No. (laughs) Paula has lots of talents and abilities. But I mean, that's crazy for a a church staff to be 83% single people. That is unheard of when I first joined Hope Ames. And slowly, we have groups of people now, staff have left, and now it's a little bit different, but there was this time where all of us were single, um, and we actually went to the Bradley's house. Sarah, who was our worship leader, and her husband, Jean, invited us to their house every Sunday. They were a married couple that took in this gang of singles, <laughs> and we had so much fun together. We laughed, we cried, uh, we talked about the Bible, we stayed there way too late, and we're so thankful for them for being willing uh, to go to work on Monday, very exhausted. Uh, but it was a, one of the best times in my life because we were doing community together, and it didn't matter our state of being. And that's what I want to focus on today. And we also had a, a lot of fun, too. I, I was exploring dating sometime on in early, early ministry career, uh, and I was excited to get put myself out there. Um, and Pastor Danny Householder actually helped me create my online dating profile. <laughs> I kid you not, my matches went up like three times after he fixed mine. So if you need any advice on the dating realm, Pastor Danny is your go-to. And so it was fun to have some camaraderie and exploring that. But then also my ministry journey, I've explored the idea of being single and having a vow of singleness. And I'm kind of on that journey of just discerning what's next for me, God. And so maybe you're in that place too. 
And so singleness is not something that has to be permanent. It can be a vow. It can be a choice. But it can also just be a state. And so I'm excited uh, to continue my journey of singleness. Um, I think it's something that's exciting. Um, but oftentimes we'll talk about later on that really I asked myself at one point, why? Why? Why marriage? And so I have two kind of memes on the next screen that I feel culture kind of puts on us. It's like the slogan, like marriage, just do it, but you don't know why. Or there's, I don't know if anyone's a Nebraska fan. I'm a big Nebraska fan, and I get a lot of heck for it here at Hope Ames and Ames Territory. Uh, but the Nebraska slogan now is Nebraska. Honestly, it's not for everyone. So I think that's a really good description. And so I changed it to marriage. It's not for everybody. And that's okay. Um, but oftentimes there comes a lot of shame and loneliness that's associated with this title that we are given, which is single. And so we're going to break that down. But if you don't identify as single, um, that's okay. We're going to dive into how you can maybe help your brothers and sisters and family members in Christ uh, experience the full blessing of singleness like we talk about in marriage too. Now, there are those of us who are currently single uh, who are unwed, but there's also widows in our uh, midst, in our church family. There's single parents, there's engaged, there's divorced. And so 100% of us have experienced singleness at some point in our life. And we are really the silent majority. Over half this church is single people, which is crazy, but we don't often talk about singleness. Most oftentimes we look at the word single and we see this. These are all synonyms for the word singleness, confinement, loneliness, desolation, separateness, wasteland, uh, silence, quarantine, detachment, solitude, isolation. Why would anyone want a title that's associated with these terms? Eventually, we start to believe we are these things, and that's the problem. But I think it gives us an accurate representation of how the world perceives singleness. And right after, right underneath singleness there, it says, alone and unique. And so when I read that as a single, I immediately think, okay, I have no one to support me, and I'm weird. That's immediately what I think. So <laughs> it's not a great feeling. And um, it doesn't help that media reinforces these words and ideas in every romantic movie you've ever seen. Uh, in movies, books, uh, music, you hear all the time this obsession we have as a culture with romance. And oftentimes, single people are told, oh, you can't experience that kind of intimacy. You can't experience that kind of relationship. You won't have the fullness of life unless you find a spouse or a partner. And that is simply untrue and unbiblical. And so as the world projects this belief of singleness, it's our job, church, to do what Jesus does. And that's flip over tables. It's to point to a new way. It's to support one another. It's to love one another. And so I also thought it was funny that the word wilderness is mentioned in this list, and the word wilderness is actually mentioned in Scripture a lot, 264 times to be exact. And this wilderness is a place in Scripture where people oftentimes go to experience God, or God just kind of shows up and they're surprised, or people start looking for God in the wilderness. But the wilderness is a place where God often seeks to fulfill his people's needs, whether that's physical or spiritual or emotional, the wilderness isn't a desolate place, but it's instead a place of rich horizons and bounty and fullness that God has for us. And yet, we so often look to the world and see, no, oh, we're these things. And it's hard not to let those lies sink in and form our identity. And so I want to 
just tell you, uh, we even hear it from people you know, in our life that we love, and it's hard. There was a research done by Match researchers about common phrases single people have heard from others, specifically those closest to them. 35 said they were told, you'll find someone soon. 29% have heard, you must be so lonely. 38% reported general pity over their relationship status. These phrases have conditioned us, even our responses and the way we communicate to one another. But I want to tell you something, your single friends, they have rich and satisfying lives because Jesus says so. And let's remind them of that. Let's point them to that truth. We read from a psychologist, um, Bella Duplo, Duplo, and she says that people think single people are miserable and lonely, that they don't have anyone. And the case is quite the opposite. Single people most often thrive. There are myths that we have about being single, but the reality is research shows it's often married people who respond to research as feeling lonely or bitter. Sorry, married friends, we love you, we think you're great. Um, but that's just the research, that's what the research shows. But it's so often portrayed as the opposite. And so singleness is portrayed as scary, as dangerous, as incomplete, as lacking. And some researchers even say anti-human. That's how far they go. There's this stigma around singleness, and we're going to break it down. First, it kind of comes back to the history that we experience as human beings. Now, if we look at just history overall, generally, we see that families were oftentimes poor. And so they had to have their kids um, work at an early age. So if, they're, if they had sons, they would start working very young. If they had uh, girls, they would oftentimes marry them off because they were one more mouth to feed. And so if you couldn't afford to feed or care for your family, uh, you had to send your kids away or you had to put them to work. Men had this responsibility of building generational wealth. And we even see that in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament, excuse me. And that women had no rights historically uh, throughout time. Um, and we see that in our biblical narrative as well. And so in order to better understand this modern stigma, stigma excuse me, um, we have to look at how history has shaped our view of singleness and marriage. Uh, we also want to look at how big events like World War II shaped and impacted the way we view families and family systems um, and how the media has portrayed single men and single women differently. Oftentimes you see videos and movies about uh, the bachelor lifestyle and how fun and exciting it is. And then you see the story of the woman who is the old maid, and old maid is a term used for a single woman that's been used for a very, very long time. But women have been brought up uh, to be desirable because that's what you needed to be to be married off. And that theme has continued uh, throughout time. And so it's important that we look to our young men and women in this church and don't continue to stigmatize um, and put this pressure of our history and incorrect thinking about singleness onto them. And so the best way I can illustrate uh, how we view family systems and relationships, and specifically our relationship status, actually comes from uh, the game Sorry. Has anyone ever played Sorry? Okay, yeah, perfect. We've got a lot of people that have played. And so it's really this game where you have different colors. So you have four players here, and they each have their home zone. They have uh, their own board pieces that are different colors. And the goal is to leave the start make it all the way around the board and make it into your home. And you have to stay within your own color. You have to um, knock other pieces out of the way. In order to leave the start, you have to get one point. Uh, in order to make it around the board, you have to continue to move forward. But sometimes you draw these cards that move you back four paces. 
And sometimes that's what I think we experience when we experience a breakup, like it's a step backwards instead of forward. Or we get this, sorry, maybe we have people in this room who have experienced divorce, and you're sent all the way back to the start. You have to restart over. That's what I experienced uh, with my parents. And then we also see uh, this option to exchange places with an opponent. It always seems like we're changing places and comparing ourselves to the people around us. Oh, they just got past me. They just switched me. They got married. My friends got married, and so now we're switching places, and I'm further and further behind. This is the messaging we send. is about this goal to get all the way around the board of life and create your own home. We've become this separate systems where we have, now this is my home, we're red. That family over there is green. Oh, yellow is over here, but what if this person never leaves start? What if this person makes it to home? We are now experiencing the game of life where it's this comparison. And it really is damaging to view life and relationships this way. Because then as a church, we don't start to live as one family together. We start to say, oh, well, you know, this is, this is my family here, that's your family there, and we're not family. It's really easy to just stick within our own family systems. The word that's used for this in psychology is our nuclear family systems. And so there's this pressure of coupling um, so that we can get around the board of life faster, so that you can have someone uh, to cohabitate with, so that you can have someone to write down their name as a beneficiary or someone on your will so that you can uh, live together, so you can have tax deductions. You know, everything surrounded in society is based on coupling. And so we need to let these lines and boundaries not define the way we are the family of God. It's as individuals and as a collective, we can reflect on this. And so I want to ask you a question today. Do we value or do we fear singleness personally? What's your history? What's your view? One thing I want to say to singles is simply being yourself is the best form of dignity you can have for yourself, but also church to encourage that, to not look down upon our single friends, to look at them with compassion, to include our single friends. And definitely, we don't want your pity. Please, no pity. We're okay. And if we're not okay, encourage singles to tell somebody. Come tell me. Come tell a friend. But scripture in our singleness points to a better way and a new truth. The churches have this history of telling singles, you know, if you're just a single and you're an I, you don't really know what it's like to be a we. Singles have been told you're selfish because you don't, you don't find somebody. Maybe you don't want to. Maybe it's been difficult for you. Maybe you've never had that desire, and that's okay. But churches have preached for so long that if you're just an I, you don't know what it's like to be a we. Or they've encouraged singles to prepare themselves for this person that they someday are supposed to be with that God has planted in their life. We've created and romanticized uh, this idea of finding the perfect person, and then we're left disappointed. And then we find out that people aren't perfect. And there's no amount of preparation that can prepare me to be the exact spouse that that person and maybe in my future needs. It's setting us up with this false expectation, and we, as a church, have got to stop. American Christians specifically emphasize this importance of romantic relationships, what we talked about. But at least people overlooked and unwanted, those of us who are single. And it plagues our current view of singleness and marriage as these opposite ends of the spectrum that we have to get to or jump to. 
In fact, they're perfectly good states of being in them themselves, um, and both are faithful to God. And so let's look at um, Hope Ames single stories is something that I wanted to share with you all. These are stories that have come from this church family of messages that singles want to share with you about their experience. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and start with one of my first experience. I'm not going to throw anybody else's experience without throwing myself into the bucket first. So I scrolled through 100 videos on my Instagram feed uh, this past week. 79% of them were love stories, engagement, marriage, kids, and relationship-oriented. 10% were dogs, 7% were food, and 4% were life hacks. And now I understand why I keep on feeling alone and like my life is incomplete, because I see it every single day. Now here's some other stories. There are definitely some sects of Christianity that put pressure on young adults, especially college kids, that find, to find their ring by spring is the phrase that's used. They're forever before even knowing who they are or be, even before they have a degree. I felt like I was in the wrong for not having a huge portion of my life figured out before graduating college. The idea of pursuing one another is weird to me. Like, how about we do what God is calling us to do? We can't be motivated by relationship with another person because that totally takes away our relationship with Jesus who wants to have a relationship with us. Another person says, if being married and having a family is such a strong desire in my heart, why hasn't it happened yet? It seems like the church has elevated marriage above singleness. It happens in the small comments, people say, assuming everyone has similar lives and comes to church in the same manner. Another person says, turn to the person next to you and tell them. That phrase is great, but usually I'm sitting by myself and no one makes eye contact or turns to me or I just stare straight because I'm embarrassed because I have no one to turn to. It's kind of weird being the only single person left in my friend group. Everyone has found someone. At times, that sucks. It makes me feel unworthy and lovable, even though I know that's not the case at all. One of the best things to come from church, though, is a community like ours and others I've experienced. It's just the value of the community aspect and the relationships with everyone, friends, colleagues. There is so much God is doing in those relationships too. And I think we tend to overlook those and focus on finding the one. So singleness can be this permanent or impermanent thing, but it doesn't define our value. It doesn't define how loved you are. Um, and so know that singles in your church family hope uh, they love you, and they love being a part of this family. And so let's love on them well. And I appreciate you listening to their stories. And so let's look at what singleness is, specifically from Scripture. I call singleness a state, uh, specifically because I don't like the term season of singleness. Uh, sometimes that means that we think we're going to come out of it, uh, or there'll be a new season, and sometimes that just doesn't happen. Um, the only season that God has for us is a season of love, the season of joy, and the season of peace, um, and the se season of forgiveness. Those are our seasons that we experience, um, and jumping from single to dating to marriage, those aren't seasons that we have to chase after. And so I call it a state because of that. And the only calling that everyone has as a person um, is their call to be a discipleship of Jesus Christ, to be a follower of Christ. And so we learn from scripture about what it means to be an ideal Christian existence that's not based on relationships. It's about being committed to a relationship with Jesus. Um, and it's unconventional uh, in the world's perspective. And so we look at this list here. 
Some people are to remain single to work for God's kingdom. We see this time and time again in scripture, the gift of leaders uh, who are uh, in a state of singleness, whether permanently or impermanently. Singleness is a gift from God. This is something that has been told to singles for so long, and there's oftentimes I talk to singles and they say, you know, I know it's a gift, why am I so unhappy? And so we have to walk through that. So this gift has almost been taken away from us because we don't talk about it in a healthy way. Single people can serve God. And single people have more time to focus on service for God. And sometimes uh, we let the singles carry a lot of the work around here, um, which is fantastic. And they're gifted and they're incredible. Um, but it's time that we all pitch in to support uh, everyone, especially singles who for, for so long have been told, you know, oh, you have all the time in the world. You can help. Uh, that's really hard on singles um, when they're working so hard um, for this church. And so I encourage you to, uh, whether you have a family or obligations or relationships, uh, you're called to be a part of this in service too. And we're really excited to do that alongside of you. It gives you an opportunity to meet single people in your church. If you haven't met a single here, I encourage you, that's your goal for the next four weeks is to find a single person uh, and meet them and introduce yourself and build a relationship. Uh, but I want to look at what scripture isn't. Um, this is oftentimes what single people hear. Uh, singleness is not a lesson on patience. It's not a purgatory of singleness until marriage. Singleness is not a lack of understanding of life. Oftentimes single people hear, oh, you don't know about sacrifice until you have kids. Or they hear, you don't know unconditional love until you have a spouse. Or they hear, you don't know intimacy unless you have a partner. These are things that are reinforced for singles over and over again. Singles also hear limited experiences. You know, you're single, so you haven't experienced the fullness of life. You haven't experienced all of these seasons that the world tells you you're supposed to experience. And so you really haven't lived. Or they've been told, you know, you're not yet an adult. You don't have any wisdom. And oftentimes in scripture, the leaders that were single were the ones who were considered to have the most wisdom. And the world has kind of flipped that on its head. Or we hear that singles are often told by their uh, married or coupled friends, uh, you wouldn't understand. And so I'm not going to talk to you about it. We start to create these groups of married couples, which is fantastic. I love that you married couples are doing life together. But I encourage you to invite single people into that mission and calling and celebration of the life that God has called us into. And so this ideal Christian existence is not based on relationship status. And we're going to walk through that. It's in response to Christ's love and commitment to you. And so we see that Jesus is actually single. Jesus is one of the greatest examples of singleness. And so we see in this story um, from the book of Mark uh, that Jesus experienced being alone too. And so I want to let you know that even Jesus experienced loneliness. The Christian experience, it says in scripture that you're going to experience loneliness. It's going to be hard. We're going to experience hardships. Um, but Christ is with us and Christ is never alone we see that Christ uh, actually going into uh, his death, uh, he asked, invited his friends to wait for him to pray. And we see that uh, they fall asleep. They left him alone. We see that Jesus was praying to God and he was deeply troubled and distressed. His soul was crushed with grief to the point of death. And yet his friends fell asleep. And so Jesus knows too what it means to feel alone, to feel like he's abandoned and he also is surrounded by all his friends, and Jesus still feels alone. Maybe you've experienced that. You ever been so surrounded with people, but yet you still feel alone? I think everyone experiences that at some point. But that's why Jesus has this new family where body and blood, uh, 
our sacrifice so that we can come together, where the outsiders can become insiders, those excluded become included. And so this example of family looks a lot different. And so we see in our Bible reading here uh, from Matthew 12, 46 through 50, as Jesus was speaking to the crowds, his mothers and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside and they want to speak with you. Jesus asked, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Then he pointed to the disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. Now we see Jesus redefining the family unit. If you look back to uh, the beginning of Jesus' life, we meet Mary, his mother, who is unwed at the time, and she becomes pregnant. And an angel comes to Mary and Joseph, who was her fiancé at the time, and says, this is going to be the Messiah. And so early on, we see Jesus' birth uniting an unwed woman and Joseph. Then we see Jesus grow up, and we see this story. We see that Jesus is, again, redefining what it means to be family. It's not relational. It's not tied by blood. And then the last time we witnessed Mary in this Gospel of Matthew, it's at the cross. Mary is at the foot of the cross with another disciple, John. And Jesus says to Mary, this is your son. And he says to John, this is your mother. And he takes her into his home. We see Mary included in this story throughout the gospel account to show that Jesus is redefining what family is. And so we see, even from this passage, that this is what the family of God is. Jesus has words about idolizing marriage and family above all other relationships. Jesus names his disciples as the one who will do the will of his Father. That's every single one of us in this room. We also see that in his, fam- his family, in other words, are not necessarily blood relatives. So we, Jesus is reshaping and reforming family. And so we know that this is a new way of being. And so Jesus looks at this game that we've play- been playing, this, this sorry game, and he decides to change the narrative, to change the way that we view relationships. And so you can see on the next screen what Jesus does here. Jesus changes, I'm sorry, to, you're welcome. I'm going to redefine what family looks like. There's going to be one family, and I'm going to sacrifice my life for this family so that all people can be joined together. We are no longer playing the game where we constantly are just apologizing to one another. We're constantly fighting to show that we have the best family unit. No, we are going to be one family who supports one another, who loves one another, and who cares for one another. And Jesus calls his disciples to this important work. So we see in the book of Acts in our Bible, this is right after the gospel count, after Jesus has died. Now his disciples are kind of scrambling to figure out, okay, what does this new community look like? This is what it looks like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many Many of the wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And God added to their numbers daily. So we see that this new community community is responsible for one another. They're equipping one another. They're caring for the widows, the orphans, those with physical needs. Those are oftentimes single people. They worshiped together. They read scripture together. They offered accountability, discipleship, community. They confessed to one another. 
and stood with protected um, power with one another too. They looked out for one another, especially um, when there were attacks uh, coming for them. And so I want to look at how we re can redefine family time or even talking about how we have family events here. Family events are for people of all states. So invite your single friends to family night so they have a family to go with. Invite your single friends to family vacation. Invite your single friends to the barbecue, please. Because uh, this is what family looks like and family time looks like. Let's go to the head to the next screen. It says, we were made for community. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Family time is sometimes the ministry of holding tongues. And we read that in Ephesians 4. Sometimes the things we say, we have to just reprocess because we've had these words and the phrases like, are you married yet? Uh, have you found the one? These phrases that we say to the people that we love oftentimes just reinforce, oh, I'm missing something. So oftentimes we have to look at the way we say things to the people in our lives. And it's actually a ministry opportunity. We also see the ministry of listening and helpfulness and bearing one another and proclaiming to one another the truth that God has for us. This is what family time is all about, and this is what we're called to. And so when we view our purpose now, it's not just in our nuclear family unit, but it's one family before God, we start to see that this is what life looks like. We get to see friendships built. We get to see uh, the great examples set before us in Scripture, and we also get to be that. Church, you have been that for me, and I am so grateful for the family that I have here. So let's continue to do this great work. We see that in Romans 16, uh, we see that Paul is writing a letter. Um, he's giving thanks and praise for his community. We see that he has coworkers, you know, that are single and married. We see that there's Jews and Gentiles. There's a variety of people who have become this family of God together. They sacrificed their lives for him. They met in homes. We see that Phoebe, who is a sister and a deacon, walked alongside Paul. We see time and time again that she helped, her, he, she helped him uh, in his needs and was offering uh, her to also help others too. And so we see that Paul has this great expanded view of what family looks like. And we read that Paul was actually, Saul was the one that was persecuting Christians, was persecuting these people before, and now he's fully embraced this family. We see in this next slide that we see that he has fellow Jews that are highly respected among the apostles. We see that he has another friend who was the first person to become a follower of Christ. We see Rufus, whom the Lord picked, and who his very own mother was a mother to Paul. We see this inclusion, this expansion of family over and over again in Scripture. And so this language actually points to the point I want to make today. The church family is more than just a biological family. It's rich and it's satisfying and singles want to be a part of it. And we're really excited to see what's in store. We want to see and challenge our married friends uh, and family members to really rethink the way we spend time together. And even as a staff, we need to rethink the way we're including single people in our ministry. But I don't want to ignore the history of calling church a family. I know that's been abused in church circles. I know pastors have used that language to manipulate their congregants. And so whenever I say church family, I always want you to discern what that means for you and what's coming out of the mouths of leadership when that is said, uh, because there has been harm caused. But I think this is a great example of what family is, of how Jesus redefines family. And so I'm going to go ahead and jump into Colossians to talk about how we can be this family of what family time looks like.
we read here, and let's go ahead and just read it together. We'll start right here with, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then we read on the next screen. You guys don't have to read this. It's far too long for that. I'll go ahead. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes with Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. And so when we look at this passage, we start to see, oh, this is what family can be. It gets exciting. Singles, you don't have to be alone. You've got a family right here. Whether you've been put in a position where you're seeking a partner, you're seeking a spouse, you're speaking, seeking a companion, that's okay. Whether you're a place in your life where that just isn't the state of being that you have been created for, it's not a season. It's a gift. And I know that's really difficult sometimes to accept. But I encourage you to branch out to experience family in a new way for those of you that are single to experience it here and I encourage also our married couples pour in to those people find them seek them out some of my best friendships and relationships have been from married people every week I meet or every at least once a month I meet with Deb Gibson who's married to Carrie who sometimes sings on stage and I meet with Chris Hunziger and these two women who are in very different life experiences, have poured into me. They encouraged me. I had a whole internship committee over the past 18 months as they walked with me through my seminary journey. And they loved me, and they cared for me, and they challenged me, and they gave me hugs. As crazy as that sound, I don't get a lot of hugs. And that was my favorite part about coming to church. So um, even something as simple as that, I can't tell you what an impact that has made on my life. What an impact you have made on my life. So let's close ourselves with love. Let's be family together here. Because it has changed my life. And you can change other people's lives in this church, especially those of us who are single. I'm so confident in the identity that God has given me as a child of God. But you have reinforced that in me. You have loved me. You have cared for me. You have given me wisdom. You have done all of these things. Let's do it for every single single that's in this church. And so I want to jump to the last slide that I have here because it's important. No matter if you're single or married, what state of being you currently find yourself in, we are not alone. But we can experience loneliness. But you don't have to experience loneliness alone. These are two very different things. So come and find us. Come and talk to us. Sometimes we'll just sit with you. We understand hurt. Jesus understood hurt the best. And he died on a cross so that we wouldn't be alone. But instead, we see that, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I want to close in a prayer for singles um, as we end today. God, we thank you for singles in our church. We thank you for married people in our church. 
God, you've called us to this place to be family, to be cared for, to love one another, to protect one another, to walk with one another in every avenue life brings us. But God, we get our joy and our purpose from you. We are all disciples called to follow Christ, the greatest example of relationships, friendships, marriages, singleness. Jesus is the example of all of it. We give you thanks for that example. Help us to continue uh, to talk about relationships in a healthy way, to talk about our identity outside of our physical relationships in this world. Instead, help us to focus on a relationship with you, which is the foundation of our entire life. God, we love you, and I thank you so much for this incredible Hope Ames family. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.